Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord, everyone. Good morning, and let's um, let's pray one more time and ask God to touch us as we look in this word. Hallelujah, let's pray. God of heaven, we love you this day. Father, we ask you right now as we look into this holy word, God, that you would anoint us, touch us, open our minds, our hearts, Lord God. For Father, we don't do this out of habit, Lord God. This is looking into the word, God. So I pray that you touch us and strengthen us, Lord God. Father, let us forget everything that's going on in our life. And right now is to look in this, Lord God, and strengthen us, Lord God, and touch us, Lord God, that we may take advantage of this word, God, I pray. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I too would just like to say um, happy Mother's Day to everyone, to my wife, my mother, my aunt, Sister Boyd, and all the mothers. Thank you for the role that you do and your God-given role. So um, us men, we can beat our chests like apes, but there's some things that we just can't do. And so we uh, thank you for all you do. For the times that um, uh, that you get up when the babies was little, and uh, I remember um, when our twins was small, and I would hear one of them crying, and you know I would think, "Oh, come on, Joy, move, move, move," <laughs> you know, and but she moved, and hallelujah. <laughs> But really, um, you know, it's just to have a mother's heart, I'll never know. That is something God designed for a mother, and it's special. But, um, and I'm grateful for it as much as I can be. Today's lesson is on repentance. Um, it is, I will repent of my sins. Uh, the verse is Mark 2 and 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, they that are whole have no need of, of a, a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the truth is God calls everyone to repent. We know when we come in and we feel the unction of God at our, this is the beginning of our experience. We do feel the Holy Ghost draw us and feel a need to repent. And it's not something that we do. To repent is a necessity all our Christian life. And this is not nothing against God's spirit. This is why we live in this body of flesh. We will need to repent. And it is not that we believe you must sin every day. That has nothing to do with it. It is just staying right, holy with the Lord. 
and it is, it is a necessity. And this is what today's lesson on is just simply repentance and just looking to the Lord as unrepentance. I want to start and I want to move as fast as I can, so just, just try to stay with me. Um, in the Bible, it talks about in Judges. There is, Judges 17 tells a story of Micah is the man. And what happens, 1,100 shekels of silver uh, is stole, and the mother places a curse on whoever has taken this silver, and it so happens that it's the son. His name is Micah. And he hears the curse that is placed on whoever taken, has taken this. So he gets afraid of the curse, and he goes and tells his mother, I'm the one that has stole the money. So he returns, he returns the money. So she says unto him, Bless thou be of the Lord, my son. Well, that sounds all good and right. Bless thou be of the Lord. Bless thou be of Jehovah, my son. But after she has placed a curse on him. So he comes back and, but where it starts going wrong is she takes 200 shekels of this to give to the silversmith to make an idol. And then he takes the idol, sets up, and he's all of a sudden, he's worshiping a graven image. And to let you know how much money this actually was, you can read on down in the story. Micah hires a priest and agrees to pay the priest 10 shekels a year. So we see this was a lot of money. So 1,100 shekels of silver was a pretty good sum. But to take 200 shekels and to make an idol out of it is truly amazing. The Bible tells us literally that in the book of Genesis that man was made so God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them now really and truly think about it as humanity we have the highest honor that's ever been given we was made in the image of God where that has been so turned around I believe is here is humanity trying to make God in their image. Because the Bible says, and here, here is the verse, it takes, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which right in his own eyes. So when you take that which was the law, and you leave that, and you take that which was right in your own eyes, you've left the benchmark, the only gauge you have, is which was right with you. So here she can curse someone that has took her money and in the same sense, blessed thou be of the Lord when you bring it back. Oh, I'm happy now. Let's thank the Lord. In the next breath, let's make an idol with part of the money. See, it's whatever the whim brings. And, to, and really, I think that's where America is today. How dare you tell me what to do and I'll say it till I die. We're not trying to tell anybody what to do. We're just saying follow God's holy written word. That's all we're trying to say. We're not trying to impose laws that shouldn't be there or make it stricter than it has to be. That has nothing to do with it because if you remove the benchmark, then you have nothing to go by. 
then you have this being played out. And you have this. Now, I'm going to give you some dates, but it is about literally, I would say, um, from Joshua to Micah is only about 40 years. You read in the Bible, all the promises that God gave Israel, they come out all the time they was in Egypt. I can just see the mothers telling their children, you know what? We might die here, but somebody's going to come get us. God is not going to forget us here. So the Lord did. But they had to live with an expectation and a hope that God was coming to rescue them. And so they take, and then God brings them out of Egypt. He said, I carried you on uh, eagle's wings. We can see the, uh, the type of this, of God bringing them out, all the things that they seen with their own eyes. And the Bible tells us that Israel lived right all the days of Joshua. And then Joshua passed, and all of a sudden, we have no benchmark. That's why, that's why when you start getting away from the benchmark, well, you know, this was important years ago, but all of a sudden now, society has changed. We see no need to do that now. Well, that is dangerous because if you don't have a reference point to go back to, I'm telling you, we're just, just like somebody that gets lost. Okay, you don't have no compass, will you? Go straight north, okay? I'm going straight north, and then all I do is I go in a circle. But this is only about 40 years from Joshua. And the Lord, when he gave them the Ten Commandments, number one is you shall have no other gods before me. And literally, God was saying, don't look to no one else. Don't think that I'm not enough to take care of you. I believe that's all God was saying. If you will always look to me. I'm telling you, we're not going to understand everything that happens to us and to every situation we go through. But don't dare look somewhere else for the answer. Come back to me. And I'm telling you, that's easier said sometimes than done. But God was saying, do not go nowhere else for the answer. Have no other God before me. Number two, don't you make any graven image. You have been made in my image. Therefore, you don't need to make anything and bow down to it. You already have the highest, you already have the highest honor of anybody. You're made in my shadow. You want to know what I look like? Go stand in the sun and look down. You'll see what I look like because you're made in my image. So he sees this and this we have this. Now, the sad thing about it where the Bible says that in those days there was no king, there was a king. But when you take and you look with your eyes of what it should be, Jehovah wasn't recognized as their king no more. In their eyes, we don't have a king. And the Lord, Jehovah's wondering is, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at, Adam? You know, you have a king, but they won't recognize their king. We want a human king, somebody we can see. So we see this happening. Now, you must have an established authority. And I have never seen in my life, now I can only speak for what time I've been on earth, but at the revolt against authority in our time any kind of authority. 
It don't matter what it is, any kind of authority, but you must have an established authority. And God, all the rules, regulations, commandments that God gave to Israel was for their benefit, for their peace of mind, for their strength, their honor, and for God's glory. It was seen that. So now we have this. Now, the Bible tells us also in the book of Samuel, I want to talk about Saul just a minute. The Bible tells us that he took, and the first time where Saul is taking this, and I won't, I'll just tell you, the Bible says when Saul had reigned one year and then he reigns two years, it starts going off the rails. He's literally, and then we see this battle happening, and I'll just paraphrase. There's a battle coming. Jonathan, he fights. All of a sudden, Saul says, you know what? I believe I'll just take credit for that. So Saul says, you know what? Sound the horn. Let all the Hebrews hear. So then it's noised abroad. Saul has did this. So right off the bat, here's Saul's king for two years and he's making it known this is what I've done. He's the king. I guess he can do what he wants. So he has this done. He's, he's doing this. Now, and then that's where it goes wrong, but that's when uh, they get in this after Saul does this. Samuel tells him, you wait seven days, I'm going to come sacrifice. We know the story. Then Saul, all of a sudden, he sees what is happening. All the people, his people starts to get nervous. One, two, three. Okay, Samuel, where are you at? And then all of a sudden, seventh day, I guess, no, no Samuel, bring me the burnt offering. But you're the king. You cannot offer the, the burnt offering. Give it to me anyway. I'm the king. So he offers a burnt offering. And we as humans cannot forget this. When we think God in our eyes has reached a time frame, that old phrase that we do something even if it's wrong, it better not never apply. And pardon me the way I said that. It need not apply to this word. Because the Bible says it's just like, just as soon as Saul was wiping everything off his hands, who walks up? The man of God. And first thing he says to Saul is, what have you done? And Saul's like, you know, it was, it was the people, you know, and then number two, you know, um, Samuel, if I'm not mistaken, it's your fault. You should have been here. And you know, it's like, really? You've been in office two years, you know you should not have done this. And he's telling them, Samuel, the prophet, it's going wrong. And the thing about it, he is not repenting for what he has done. So he takes, he's doing this. Now, another date from where Micah did this to approximately, and this is approximate figure to where Israel wanted a king. The Bible says there was no king. Everybody did that, which was right in his eyes. We're about 300 years later, approximately. So here's Saul. He does this. That's the first time. Then he takes, 
And then he takes over and the people drove him to it. So we see next is where that's when uh, Saul takes. And this is approximately, I would say, only 10 years later that he takes one of the most important things. And when you read this story, I realize that there is, there is some violence with it. But I think the way that we should look at this is when, when uh, God told Samuel, go tell Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Studer, I think understanding this would help us is to realize that what we should look at this is here is God telling the prophet to tell the king, you go destroy every bit of the sin that's there. Everything. Utterly destroy. Don't leave nothing. Nothing. And so we see this. Go utterly destroy everything they have and spare them not. So this is a command of the Lord to do this. This is take number two with Saul. So, and we know the story. He goes, he disobeys, he brings back the king, and he brings back everything that he shouldn't have. So he, he's telling him, you shouldn't have done that. And what he tells him, he, he just says, that's when just Samuel just literally tells him. That's when this verse is quoted so much. To obey is better than sacrifice. And I think what Samuel meant is you had a command from God of what to do. You cannot bring back in your own eyes which was good and offer it to the Lord because the Lord has already condemned this. And Saul, that's what he was doing. He said, I'll bring back the king. Why he brought back the king, I don't know. But the sheep in the auction, I'm going to bring them back to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel saying, do you think the Lord wants that? It's already been condemned. To obey is better than sacrifice. Now, there is numerous, numerous verses in the Bible where God said, I am full of your sacrifices. If you will not obey my word, it does you no good to sacrifice. And I think where we can relate to that we give our sacrifice as a living sacrifice. So if I know that I'm doing wrong, the Holy Ghost has checked me and I come in here and offer the fruit of my lips, do you think it's any good? I'll let you answer that. But all I know from this is the Bible tells us that the prophet told him you should not have done this. Here again, Saul did not repent. So he takes... He goes again, and then he, God told you to destroy everything. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump, I'm going to read something, and I'm going to show you he did not repent. But here is a result of when you just let it go. Now, David flees to the cave of Adullam. We understand this. What he does, what David does wrong is he misled the priest, Ahimelech. He goes there and he says, I'm on a mission from Saul. And whatever the reason may be of David doing this, it went wrong bad. And so he tells, 
He tells the priest he's on a mission, everything's okay, I just need some bread. So they worked it out where he could eat some bread for his men, and, and, and this is at that part of the, the Bible. Now, then Saul said unto his servants, listen, that stood about him, here now you Benjamites. This is Saul, did that which was right in his eyes, trying to reason all this, and he's talking to him. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields, uh, fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? Now, I'm going to read one more verse, and I want you to listen how Saul has turned this inward. He won't repent, even when the prophet tells him he's wrong. But just listen to what he says. That all of you have conspired against me and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse and there is none of you that is sorry for me or showeth unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So here's Saul. He will not repent. He will not change his mind. He's talking. He's getting all the men. And he's just telling them, look, I've reached, the, basically what Saul had reached is the point of no return. And he proves it. Back, God's commandment was, is you take, you utterly destroy every one of them. He would not repent. He would not change his way. Samuel told him, you've got to obey. You must obey. So when God commanded him, he wouldn't do it. But now, in his own eyes, what does he do? He not only takes and he orders Ahimelech, the priest, and the 84 priests with him killed. I mean, that's off the deep end. The Bible says that he said priest of the Lord. And at least the men that was with him said, this is over the line, Saul. We're not going to do this. But the enemy is always going to provide somebody that will. So they found a non-Israelite. And he said, I'll be glad to do it. And Saul said, do it. In the city of Nob, 85 priests of the Lord lost their life because this man did that which was right in his own eyes. Wouldn't follow God. And the priest telling him, you're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. It's better to obey. And he would not repent. He would not repent. And it's just, our lesson is on repentance. And I think this is one of the most Obvious lessons there is in the Bible when it comes to of it starting to go wrong and God not saying. I mean, he's only in, the Bible tells us, two years. And so the Lord stood at just, Israel, you wanted a king. I gave you a king, but I'm not just going to just stand back and say, you wanted a king, so have at it. God sent a man, a prophet, to just try to warn him you're going wrong. You're going wrong. And it's just...
what I'm saying is God sent someone to try to correct Saul, but he would not hear. He would not repent. The Bible tells us of John. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Jesus pointed out shortly before his ascension, all things must be fulfilled. That was written in the law of in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. This had to be done. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And John the Baptist, we know what he did. He come preaching repentance. We know that by him. And the first recorded words of John the Baptist was, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, literally, he's telling them right there. Luke wrote of John. He came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. So we see that. Mark made it clear that John's inaugural message was necessity of repentance. So, and, and then John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the uh, baptism, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. But repentance refers to a changing of one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with a regard to sin and righteousness. Now, in English, a focal component of the word repent is a sorry or a contrition that the person experiences because of sin. The emphasis in the Greek, though, seems to be more specific of the total change, both in thought and behavior with respect to how one should both think and act. So you can be sorry. You know, it's, it, it's like when somebody is caught doing something wrong. Are you sorry you got caught? Or you're truly sorry you did something wrong. So when it comes to when we repent, it's to be truly, to have a repentant heart, it's truly understand, I believe, who Jesus was and that you didn't sin, so to speak, against your fellow man. You sinned against God. And that's truly to have a repentant heart. And it's not that, oh man, you know, I got caught. You know, That's not the case. It's truly to be repentant. And Isaiah's prophecy about John the Baptist specifically pointed to Jesus. John, this wasn't all about me. You know, John pointed to Jesus. He knew his own ministry was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He also knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah who would take away the sin of the world and baptize them that believed on him with his spirit. Now, the preaching of repentance prepares you the way of the Lord, we know. For the people to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, it was necessary that they first repent. Now, we know that uh, when someone wants to be baptized, first they gotta believe. First they must repent, you know, to what extent I believe that is with the individual. Some people has a repentant heart and some people takes and they, they just feel their way into it, and, and it's a little bit slower, but it's a process. It is believing, and it's understanding, and it's fully repenting and knowing what we've done. John, one thing, John preached about the Lord when he said this, there cometh one mightier than I, the latchet of whom shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptize you with the water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. This is not John 
patting himself on the back. Now, I don't know. I, I tried to think of this, of how to say it, and this is the only way I can come up with. But what I believe John was saying, if we had servants, we had servants in our home, and we had a, a, a number of servants, and you graded them on a scale of one to 10. Well, the servant that untied the shoes of those dusty people that come in the door was a number one, would be the lowest one. And here's John saying, I'm not even worthy to be a number one. And the reason I believe John was saying that is because he truly knew who Jesus was. To some, he was just somebody to fill their stomach. To some, he was just somebody that could heal my daughter or my son. I could just get a miracle out of him. But John was saying, this is the Lamb of God. This is God manifested in the flesh. So John was saying, I'm not even worthy to do this. It was not that he's patting himself on the back trying to, oh, I'm so lowly and humble, I'm doing this. No, John was saying, I recognize who Jesus actually is. And I think that a lot, a lot of our attitude can change. You know, they can call us Jesus only, do whatever they want to do. But when we recognize who Jesus actually is, and what God did and how he came from heaven and took on the flesh that he did, it changes our whole attitude. You see things different. You view things different. And it, just as John saying this, this was not just a play on words. This was not to get sympathy. This was John saying, John saying, if you just could see Jesus through my eyes. Now... Isaiah says that they might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zerubbabel and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, and in the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Now, following these words, Matthew wrote, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is saying this. And shortly be after the prophecy that we just read, Isaiah gave us this. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the increase uh, of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And he said, um, unto us a child is born and a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Government is the only word I want to point out. It, government, when you just look it up, it just is rule or dominion. Jesus said, all of this is going to be on me. I'm not coming being appointed by somebody else. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He is going to have rule 
understanding who he is. The Lord's message was not intended only to the Jewish community of the first century Israel, but it was also for the Gentiles, as Isaiah 1 said, Galilee of the nations, understanding who Jesus was. Because sorrow for sins alone does not open the door to God's kingdom. Come in and you're just sorry. You know, you feel you have a good service and you feel something of the Lord, but you don't go as far as to repent of it. That's just not good enough. Literally, repentance is required. It, it must be repentance that comes of hearing and believing the gospel message because that's what it does. It opens the door. Ministry does. So it takes, and during his earthly ministry, Jesus demonstrated his authority to forgive sins. He presented the paralyzed man laying on the bed. He just simply said, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. He said this in response to their faith of the paralyzed man who brought him to Jesus. Jesus went to sinners. Scribes and the Pharisees did not believe on Jesus and they complained. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. In response, Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. Now, when you read of this, the Bible says that Jesus doesn't want no one to perish or that none should perish. When you look up the word perish, that puts a whole new light on that because it is that Jesus would take the 99, you know, Jesus is talking about they that are a whole need no physician and the 99 think, what's wrong with me? I don't, I don't need nobody. And so... Jesus said, I will leave the 99. They don't think they need nobody. The 99 needs someone just as sure as the one needs something. But the, the scribes and the Pharisees were saying, I'm okay. What's wrong with me? I'm whole. And the Lord said, no, I'm going after the one with a repentant heart that has repented. And I don't want none, I don't want none of the 99 to perish Perish means everlasting torment, to be separated from God. And it's not, it's not that we think someone would just be lost or, or look at it, but what it means to be eternal, eternally lost. So this is, this is God saying, understand what I'm trying to say without saying it? <laughs> this is God saying, that if you're not reached, you can be eternally separated from me. So he takes them and he tells them. I mean, it has been said so many times. Why would you open a hospital and turn away sick people? And they're blasting the Lord because he went and talked to publicans and sinners? You know, that is, I'm so holy, I can't be around them kind of people. Really? What was you before you came to the Lord? And sounds like what you still are, really and truly. And I'm, that was probably sarcastic, but understand the content because that was what the, the scribes and the Pharisees did to the Lord. You know, I'm, I'm so old, I'm so good that I don't need nobody. And the Lord said, that's okay. You stay in that corner. I'm going after the one. And that's why I've said we are all the one. 
If you have a repentant heart, we're all the one. God is searching. He's looking. He's calling us. So he, he did this, and he, he still does it. God commands everyone to repent. It's not a suggestion. It's a universal command. When Paul visited Athens, he, he said, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God has made, Paul explained that God has made one blood of all nations of men who dwell on the face of the earth and had to determine the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Paul informed those that heard him that God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. Pure and simple, the ability to repent is God-given. Because I will do this as fast as I can. But I'm telling you, I love, you probably don't know this, but I love the concept of time. Now, in human terms, we have past, present, and future. Now, that's way I, I would think most people, I don't know, I can only speak for me. So, and then when we think of the Lord, that's a way, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'll leave you out of it. I'll speak of me. That way I, 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 I won't get mad at myself. So, you wonder, and, but God makes mention of scriptures, I will separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. You know, as far as land, this earth that we're on, that's the furthest in distance of miles that we can relate to. He said, I will bury your sins at the bottom of the sea, so to speak. And we sort of understand that, even though I don't know if there's anybody that's ever been to the deepest part of the ocean and come back to tell us about it. But still, we understand that concept. But here, here is a way that I would explain this. We have a problem because we can't forget some things. And we, as hard as we try to forget something, you know, if, and that's just unless God ordainly anoints us to, for, to for, for forget, it's, it's hard. But God said, I will remember, I will remember your sins no more. Now, when it comes to God, this is what I believe. We view past, present, and future through time. With God, there is no time. Other with God, everything is present. There is no past. There is no future. Everything is seen in present tense. And so when God says, I will remember your sins no more, I would say it like this. Your sins are no longer present with me. So when we... Biblically repent and give God our repentant heart and ask forgiveness. God don't literally know, so to speak, because I believe our sins are no longer present with him. And some have said, how far is too far with a person? I believe it like this. God cannot forgive unrepented sin. The Bible talks in Romans where they didn't even want to retain God in their knowledge. So... If you cannot feel the need, man did that which was right in his own eyes. All of a sudden, you turn God away so much that you don't feel the need to repent. 
then God can't forgive you of something that you don't feel the need to repent of. So if you don't repent of it, how can you get forgiveness of it? So that would be to me of going too far. It's not like he's reached that point. I believe God is gonna try and try and try. Now where that point is, you won't catch me saying. All I'm saying is to get forgiveness of sins, we need to repent. And God is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, I, I will close and I have just a few other comments I wanna make. The Bible tells us in, and Brother Boyd mentioned this um, last week, but of the rich man and Lazarus and the beggar Lazarus, it's not the Lazarus we know of Mary and Martha, but here it is. And the point I wanna make is, this is the Lord speaking. So he takes, without question, it's talking about one being saved, one being lost. And so it comes down, the man's trying to bargain with the Lord and he says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. So this would be my point of this when it comes to repentance. Moses represented the law. So I believe this was what God was saying. I think this is what one example could be taken out of that. When a God-ordained man stands behind a desk, anointed of the Holy Ghost, and speaks of this law, they have Moses, they have the law, and the prophets. Now, we have to make sure what we're listening to is the law being defined? You cannot take something. You cannot do this. You have, this is God's given word. What you're listening to, what you're allowing yourself to be subject to, you have to make sure that it is God's given law. And the prophet you're listening to is anointed of God because the Lord said they have Moses and the prophets. So I believe he is saying they have to teach this holy book and they have to be anointed of me. And therefore, if they're not going to do that and if that is not enough to move me to repentance, then which side do you think I'm going to wind up on? Because in Galatians, Paul told us Though me or an angel from where? Not Hades, heaven. If one came from the Lord and preached any other, don't believe him. And the thing about it, and what I think we need to take notice of, God put his word ahead of the prophet. That's why I don't care if the guy walks on water and can do the miraculous if his word don't match this word, cut that joker off. And I mean that as respectfully as I can because he said they have the law and then they have the prophets. They must match. So he's, he's doing this. Now, sound doctrine 
is absolutely non-negotiable. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that with all of my heart. And I will end with this. Now, when God gave the Ten Commandments, this is actually, I want to take an Old Testament example in our, our rush. He is, this is literally in Exodus 20, after he gave Moses the tablets and he's got the Ten Commandments, he tells him this. An altar of earth shalt thou make unto me. Thou shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thy auction in all the places, listen, where I record my name. I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. Right from the very beginning, what are we made of? The earth. Take and make me an altar of earth. What are we? A living sacrifice. There's two things, and we, I just read them, that was to be sacrificed. A burnt offering, we're not a burnt offering. We are a living sacrifice. And the peace offerings is to be put on it. And then God said, get this, in all places where I record my name, you think this is the only place that we can feel God's presence? It's where we go. It's where we have communion with God in all the places where I record my name. When I take his name in all the places that we go, God said, you make unto me an altar of earth and I will record my name there. So repentance, it's a lifelong commitment, but it's something that will keep us right. It will keep us clean. It will keep us holy with the Lord. It is the first step that we go to, but it is a necessity throughout all our Christian life. I thank God for it. I think I'm thankful for what it means and for what it does. I'm thankful for God's ministering that helps us to remember. And when I get, um, it's like, I, I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm talking so much. I'll tell one joke. We, um, me and another man sitting in a restaurant, a guy come up talked the whole time, got up and left, and the guy across from me said, I guess he needed somebody to talk to. So I'm alone right now, so I need somebody to talk to. So uh, the car, that, the, the car that, that, that we've had to rent has got this little device on it. If you hit either side of the line, bzz, 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 it's a little annoying to me because I, I, I ain't had that. And what I was trying to say is that in the Holy Ghost, when I come to church, and the ministering comes across and I'm getting too close to either side, left or right. God's not gonna let me go right or go left. The ministering, say, get back. Don't be like Saul and say, you know, it's his fault, it's their fault. It's the people made me do it. God's not gonna let us do that. Hallelujah, let's stand. God bless you. Hallelujah, let's pray. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.